0: Okay, we're in chapter 21, chapter entitled Reconciliation and Acceptance. We got through about halfway of that chapter last week, and we want to continue on. You know, I was looking at this chart here, or this poster, and thought, really, I should have had in Christ as being the largest thing on top and then having position and standing under it. Because our position and standing is based on us being in Christ. That is... The preeminent issue we need to get get in our minds. Uh, you know, the way God views us is based on us being in Him. So I kind of put it under position and standing, but in reality it is the basis of our position and standing. And I should have probably had it at, at the top in, in large type, and then put position and standing underneath it, and then all these other things uh, down below below that now you know we've already seen that our position in Christ has made us dead to the old and alive to new if any man be in Christ he is a new creation old things have passed away all things have become new that's true of us positionally the way God sees us In our daily lives, in our daily condition, there's still a lot of the same old struggles. There's still a lot of the same old failures. But in our position, we are totally new. And in that position, we saw we have a righteous standing in the eyes of God. When God looks at you and me and and sees us, He sees us as being acceptable in His sight because we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Our righteous standing in the eyes of God is not based on our daily lives. Our righteous standing in the eyes of God is based on our relationship with Christ. That fact that we are inseparably bound to Him. When we dealt with justification the other week, I kind of put a chart up and showed, you know, that we brought no righteousness into our relationship with Christ, but we are in union with Him, so we share His righteous standing. Now, Once we begin to grasp that our righteous standing in the eyes of God is based on Christ and Christ alone, then we can begin to have full assurance of our salvation. I am sure assured of my salvation not because of the life I live although if I'm living the Christian life it can be a secondary source of assurance but my primary source of assurance is a knowledge that I stand before God clothed in the very righteousness of Christ and the only way I could ever lose My salvation is for Christ to cease to be righteous. And that ain't going to happen. Now, once we begin to understand justification, we saw last week, the, the stage is set for us to begin to understand our reconciliation to God. In fact, he said at the end of the first paragraph in the chapter, "Until we rest assured in our position in justification, we are not spiritually prepared for the positional truths of our reconciliation to and acceptance by God." What's the matter? I'm trying to find where you are. I said that at the end of the first paragraph of chapter twenty-one. Dropping back to what I covered last week. But he says, you know, until we are assured of justification and assurance, we aren't ready for reconciliation. Not to understand it. Reconciliation, we saw, has to be, to, uh, has to do with being brought into a right relationship, a relationship of harmony with God. And it's only as I understand my righteous standing in the eyes of God that I can begin to understand how it is possible for me to, despite the struggles in my daily life, to be brought into a place of harmony with God. And we saw last week, you know, the self-life cannot be reconciled to God. What I am apart from Christ will never be reconciled to God. What is reconciled to God is what I am in Christ. Now, we saw that it's on this basis then the fact that through our relationship through Christ through the righteous standing we gain in him uh, through the reconciliation that that makes possible that we are accepted by God we are accepted in the beloved now we saw again last week Bottom of page 90, he said, here we have one of the most vital positional subjects. And yet it is relatively unknown among believers today. All too few enjoy the benefits of acceptance in their daily walk. He says, the believer who is not aware of his positional acceptance in Christ is caught in the struggle to improve his condition, his daily life, in order to feel acceptable to God. He says, if we do not grasp that our acceptance rests on being in Christ, then what we're going to do is we're going to get so focused on our daily life and we think, if only I can live up to a certain standard... (coughs) then God will accept me. The only problem is, we continually fail. And if, if I really don't come to understand my acceptance in Christ, I'm never really going to have close fellowship with the Lord. Because if I'm struggling... From day to day, does God accept me or does He not? How am I ever going to walk close with Him? It's only as I come to see that I am 100% accepted by God despite my struggles, despite my failures. It's only as I come to see that I am fully accepted by Him that I can walk through life hand in hand with Him. I can have fellowship with him. In fact, later in the book, you know, we will get more into the issue of fellowship. And many tend to place fellowship over here based on my condition. No, fellowship is based on my position. For a long time, I believed that sin broke fellowship. And then it dawned on me one day, if sin breaks fellowship, then it is my righteous living that maintains fellowship. And that ain't true. My fellowship isn't maintained by righteous living, My fellowship is made possible by my position in Christ. Now the life I live can have a whole lot to do whether I enjoy that fellowship or whether I withdraw from that fellowship. But it's not the basis of that fellowship. The basis of that fellowship goes back to my acceptance in Christ. That I am accepted in the beloved. Now... We got up to the top of page 92, and I probably need to pick up there so that we can actually get finished with the chapter today. But, you know, he talks about, you know, this struggle that many have thinking that somehow in their daily lives, in their daily condition, they've got to win the acceptance of God. And at the bottom of page 91, he says, We've been depending on self to do what only Christ our life can do. And the farther we move on this tangent, the more active and malignant the the self-life appears to be. The more we try in our own strength to make ourselves acceptable to God, the more self shows its ugly colors. And we ended with this sentence at the top of page 92. What the condition-centered believer, the one who is focused on his day-to-day life instead of on Christ, what the condition-centered believer does not realize is God himself is causing this shattering revelation of self. He takes us into situations and relationships that finally cause us to face up to the fact of our failure as Christians. Our nothingness, our total unacceptability in ourselves. Not until we understand that in our flesh dwelleth no good thing, Romans seven eighteen. Can we rest in our position of complete acceptance in the Lord Jesus just as we are? Many a Christian struggles with the fact that they're trying so hard to live the Christian life. And they're praying and pleading with God to help them. And he doesn't. He allows them to fail. In fact, he brings them into situations, and he says, in relationship that will show their failure. To bring us to that point of desperation that Paul came to. Romans 7. You know, the good I want to do. I can't do it. The evil I don't want to do, I continually do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Paul had to learn that in his fleshly nature dwelt no good thing. That's a hard lesson to learn. But it's an important lesson to learn. We have to learn the not I part of the equation before we'll ever grasp the but Christ part of it. And a lot of times we look at our fellow believers and we say, man, they just aren't growing. If today they understand a little more clearly the not I side of things they've grown. That is probably the most difficult part of the Christian journey. Coming to that place of recognizing our inability. We so want to think that we have some good in us that God wants. And that's a pride thing. But we have to come to that place of brokenness. And then when, you know, we come to that place like Paul did, who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. The acceptance I can never win is there in Christ. And there's a lot of peace when we come to that place. Rick, doesn't it just bring out the beauty of the finished work of Christ? Sure.
1: And, it, you know, I've heard you say many a time that we don't even touch what all was accomplished in that finished work that he did. Yeah. But we see a lot of it here, and it, and it just so endears us to what he has done. Yeah. We could have this kind of
0: acceptance and freedom yeah.
1: and peace and rest in the midst of the mess of life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And as we go on, we're going to see it's not that I don't care about how my life looks. I do. I just know that I am not going to change it. It's going to be the work of Christ in me. And I'm not having to win His acceptance. I learned to live in the realm of His acceptance. It's made a huge difference in my Christian life. Because each and every day I know that whether I struggle and fail today or not, no matter what happens, I'm accepted by God. Now, he makes the statement, he says, to abide in Christ and to consent to be loved while unworthy is the believer's positional privilege and responsibility. Think about that. Our. Positional privilege and responsibility is to be able to abide, live my life consistently in Christ, and consent to be loved by God knowing I am unworthy. I am unworthy of His love. But I bask in it. I accept it with gratitude. He says, love functions according to its nature, not according to the quality of the object loved. Now the love he's talking about here is agape love. You know, in scripture, there are two primary loves. Greeks had four forms of love but only two of them really appear in scripture one is agape the other is phileo. Phileo is more of what we think of as love it's an emotional bond agape is not so much an emotion as it is a value driven action agape seeks what is best for someone no matter how you feel about them And see, we, we so miss out on a lot of times on what's being said in Scripture because we bring our thought of love into these passages that speak of agape. The King James writers often used to translate agape as charity, and I think sometimes charity is a better translation. Why? Charity sees somebody in need and ministers to it. Even if they aren't appealing to you. You know, it's a value-driven action. You know, it's, it's easy at times to do something good for someone you have these great feelings about. But it's another thing to do what is best for someone who you don't have those feelings for. We take John 3.16 and we insert a, 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 a false concept of love into that verse. You know, we want to say, well, because God had these good feelings about the world. Because He was attracted to the world. He gave His only begotten Son. No! In fact, Linwood Bowden, some of you knew Linwood. Linwood Bowden pointed out something to me years ago that I've never ever been able to disprove. He said, nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say God loves unbelievers. Never. John 3.16 says he has loved. God so loved. It's a completed work. He so agape the world, he looked at those who were his enemies, who were at enmity with him, and he was moved by his godly love to sacrifice Christ to save him. His love towards the unbelieving world is seen in the New Testament as a completed work. And yet, all too often, we, people want to bring the phileo concept in. God's love, as I like what Larry Crabb said one time, God's love relentlessly pursues our best even when we would happily settle for less. Love functions according to its nature. God is a, a God characterized by agape love. And it functions on the basis of its nature, not on the basis of the quality of me. I don't earn it. He gives it to me because it is Who he is. And when I entered into Christ, I entered into the realm of his love. Now he says, the believer who is not abiding by faith in the acceptable one, Christ but who is relying on his own personal condition for acceptance, is hopelessly handicapped in the matter of fellowship, growth, and service. If I am, you know, basing God's acceptance of me on my life, I'm going to be handicapped. I already said this earlier. I'm going to be handicapped in fellowship. Because so much of the time, I'm going to feel that I am undeserving of fellowship with God. And I'm going to feel like I've got to somehow clean up this in my life or that in my life so I can have fellowship with Him. And if I am not walking in fellowship with God, I'm not going to grow. Growth flows from my walking hand in hand with Him. Because it says, I walk with Him, He shows me the things in my life that He wants to deal with. He shows me the provisions I have in Christ to deal with those things. That comes as I walk with Him. And that fellowship is made possible as I understand acceptance. Now, I used to think that, you know, when I was in fellowship, that's when I had the warm, fuzzy feelings about my relationship with God and that if I was struggling, uh, then I was out of fellowship. I've come to see fellowship isn't always comfortable. Because sometimes in fellowship with God, God's going to be dealing with things that are hard for us to see, hard for us to accept. If I don't pull away and, 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 you know, close my mind to what He's saying, my fellowship isn't broken in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of those failures. If I sin and He convicts me of it and I acknowledge it I walk on with him knowing that my acceptance by him isn't based on me living sinlessly my acceptance by him is based on me being in the Lord Jesus Christ and the only way I'm ever going to be able to deal with sin is to continue to walk in fellowship with him Basking in his acceptance. So without an understanding of acceptance, I'm going to be handicapped in fellowship. Without that fellowship, I'm not going to grow. And without that growth, there's not going to result true service. Fruitful service. That fruitful service comes out of growth. So you you can see the domino effect of things. That if I'm unwilling to rest in the acceptance that is mine in Christ, then there's a, it, it, the domino falls in the area of fellowship. And when the domino falls in the area of fellowship, it falls in the area of growth. And when it falls in the area of growth, it falls into the area of fruitful service. This is foundational. Acceptance is foundational. Sets the stage for so much more. He goes on, he says, you know, he is entangled in the self effort of working to improve his condition and is inevitably cast down in utter defeat. And then he asked the question: How can a defeated, depressed, self-centered Christian enjoy fellowship with the Father and be at peace with Him? You know, if we're basing our, you know, God's acceptance on our life, we're going to be defeated. And it's going to lead to spiritual depression. And it's going to hamper everything. Could I share something? Yeah. Before Matt and Emily went back, Emily and I had a really neat few hours
1: together. There's two of them. And you know, one of the things we talked about were some of these very things. And it was just a beautiful thing to think that she could share these things with me, some of her struggles, and I with her, because the fact was she wasn't scared. Number one, that I would accept her by her telling, sharing these with me, or me her. But more than anything, that we were accepted in Christ, and we were just talking about the the peace that gives, and it it, it causes you to want to want to go towards Him. As you understand His grace and His uh, provision uh, flowing forth, and it just made me think about the fact of the beauty of this, that two believers could talk about their struggles and not think, oh, what's this other part? Especially, you know, like her sharing of the But, um, you know, you're able to just know That your acceptance is a settled thing. And so you can talk together about these things, these struggles, and rejoice in what God has done to meet the need and to draw you from the struggle into victory in Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just so much beautiful practicality and application in these things for every aspect of life, isn't it?
0: And, you know, if if we're defeated and depressed and self-centered, it does really impact the kind of outreach we will have towards others. And I think I've shared before that, you know, when we were in Ireland, there was one young woman, you know, again, the church we got involved in, they had been very much involved in a very legalistic approach, a lot of it, again, trying to change their condition. And somebody asked this one young woman, she said, why do you never invite your family to come to church with you? She said, because I don't want to get their lives as screwed up as mine. Now, With that kind of view, you can see why Christianity wasn't spreading like wildfire. But she's looking, she's saying, I'm defeated. I'm discouraged. You know, there's nothing positive to me about my Christian life. Why would I invite those who I know and love to come and be part of this? until we begin to base everything on who we are in Christ and get the joy and the peace that comes from that, we are not going to have a lot of impact in a positive way. On a a well of an impact, but not necessarily in a positive way.
1: remember as she grew and learned these things, her family started asking. And she
0: started being able to share. And it
1: yeah. So great
0: to watch. Sure. Who were so messed up. It was Yeah, yeah. Just it is true and great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it goes on, he says, yet devastating as this Romans 7 track is, and Romans 7 is where Paul says the good I, can't, I want to do I can't do, the evil I don't want to do I continually do. He says, Jed, as, de- as devastating as this Romans 7 track is, it is our Father's preparation of us in order that we might shift our reliance and faith from our condition in ourselves to our position in Christ. Not I, but Christ. Galatians 2.20. See, God's orchestrating our failure over in the area of our daily life, our daily condition, is geared towards bringing us to a place where we're ready to embrace the fact that it all flows from Christ says having predestined us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us acceptable how in the beloved from Ephesians chapter 1 we have been predestined to the adoption of, actually it's sons, it's, uh, the word there has to do with an adult son. God has determined that one day we will take our our position as adult sons in his family. Adoption here isn't how we entered the family of God, that was by the new birth. Adoption has to do with us one day taking our place as adult sons in his family. And he's determined that we're all going to end up there one day. But he has made us presently accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of his grace. Not our merit, but his grace. In learning to take our position in the Lord Jesus and thereby to abide in him as our acceptance, we grow to expect less and less from ourselves and more and more from him. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Psalm 62, 5. The more I grow in the Lord, the less I expect for myself. I truly believe that in me, apart from Christ, is nothing good. But I've become more and more confident about what God what Christ can do in me and through me. You know, I've shared before, and I don't think I'm gonna get through this chapter today, but I've shared before teaching, it would have been the last thing I would have ever chosen to do. <laughs> I said, four years of Bible college, my big fear was that as a senior I would have to share my testimony in chapel. This is not something I would have chosen. And it's not something I can do in and of myself, and I am so aware of that. I'm aware of what God can do. And what he has done. And in the early days of teaching, Jonell will tell tell you, if I was asked to speak in a church or something, the week before, it was hard living with me. Because I carried this on my shoulders. I've somehow got to be able to present this in a way that's going to impact people. And I didn't enjoy it. In fact, you know, the way I ended up in teaching is, you know, I kept getting these these opportunities. You know, people offering me opportunities and I'd turn them down and turn them down and turn them down. And Lord finally convicted me. And I thought, okay, uh, I'll utilize these opportunities. People will figure out real quick that I am not good at this, and they'll quit answer, asking. <laughs> and I was horrible, and for some reason they kept asking. Till <laughs> now, I will tell you, I would bore you to tears. I guess people were hard up. Nobody else wanted to do it. Nobody else was willing to do it. So... But you know, the day I began to enjoy teaching was the day I really began to grasp, this is God's work, not mine. And one of the ways he taught me that was, you know, man, I would prepare and I would practice. And I and I thought, man, I really have this one together. And I'd get up and speak and it had no impact on anybody. And then I'd have another time, I'd stand up, I'd think, man, I blew it. And people would come up and tell me how blessed they were. I felt I had totally failed, and yet they came up and said, man, that really ministered to me. And I thought, this is God. And along the way I came to realize, it's not about me, it's about Him. If He wants to use me, and I'm available, He will. But I still don't think I have anything to offer anybody. I know he has a lot. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, I was reading this morning, uh, Matthew, in, in uh, chapter 5 or 16, says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And uh, just hearing you say that, like, you know,
1: let them see my good works, what work good works. There's nothing good in me that comes from Him.
0: Right? Him. Let them be yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in my flesh is nothing, you know, and I really, I, I count it such a privilege that God lets me do this, because I know that I have nothing, nothing in of myself, but he has so much. He says, I'm going to run out of time here. He says, as we become more fully established in our position, he says, you know, uh, oh, I jumped ahead too much. We are increasingly willing to reject self, to leave all that sinful source on the cross for daily crucifixion. The more I come to rest in, in my acceptance, in my position, the more I'm willing to say, God, just take that old nasty self-life of mine and nail it to the cross and keep it there. And he says, the progress, this progressive freedom from the domin- dominion of self gives us a deepening rest in the Lord Jesus we become rooted and grounded in in the source of life. Where we grow, how? Effortly, effortlessly. And fruit is born, what? To His glory. The more I live my life based on who I am in Christ... The more growth takes place and it is effortless growth. I don't have to think, I gotta grow, I gotta grow, I gotta grow. As I live my life in Christ, growth will take place. I have yet to know anybody who really began to live their life Focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that didn't grow. I know a lot of people who have tried real hard to grow on their own that haven't. But I don't know anybody who has come to know Christ in a deep, personal, intimate way. Really abiding in Him that haven't grown. And he says, fruit will be born. As I grow in the Lord... As I grow in my relationship with Christ, His fruit is going to be shown in me. How many Christians are so caught up in, I've got to bear fruit, I've got to bear fruit, I've got to bear fruit. The branch of a vine isn't sitting there thinking, i got to bear fruit. It bears fruit. Why? Because it is connected to the vine. Any fruit that has come out of my life has been the result of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? And we'll have to end on this. He says, Because self-effort produces works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19-21. While positional rest... Fosters the fruit of the Spirit. As I live my life in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be produced in me. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. They flow out of this. But how many Christians, again, read... The passage in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, their condition centered. So, man, I've got to work on being more loving. I've got to work on being more long suffering. So they grit their teeth and they try to be long suffering. And there's no balance. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit that flows from my relationship in Christ. It is not the fruit of the flesh trying real, real hard. i tell you, it makes all the difference in the world in your Christian life when you begin to understand this. Because as I said last week and I've said before, You know, when we went to Ireland, one of the first couples we met with just said, you're the first Christians who seem to enjoy the Christian life. Why do we enjoy the Christian life? Not because we're totally successful. But because there's a peace in knowing that my righteous standing is based on Christ and Christ alone, my assurance of salvation flows from my relationship to Him, my reconciliation to God comes from Him, my acceptance comes from Him. It's not a huge burden on my shoulder. I have my struggles, I have my failures. I have my good days. I have my hard days. But there's a peace in knowing that who I am and what I have as a believer rests on Christ and not on me. So we didn't get real far today, but we'll finish it up next week. Or no, the week after next, because next week is Prayer Sunday. Uh, But we'll, we'll pick it up then the following week. Again, I don't know, maybe the elders want me to finish by a certain time. I just tend to just take it a week at a time and figure we just need to cover this stuff. And I just hope that at the end you understand it and that it changes your life like it's changed mine and like I've seen it change so many others. I teach this with full confidence because I've seen the lives that have been changed over the years I've seen what it did in Ireland I've seen what it's done with a lot of our students up in Wisconsin I've seen it change people over and over again and I believe it can have a huge impact in each of your lives as you come to understand it so let's close in prayer Lord we do thank you now for uh, the fact that we are in Christ What a privileged place to be. And Lord, we thank you that everything we are, everything we have, flows from that. Lord, may we not make the mistake of trying to achieve through our own efforts what only Christ can produce. But Lord, may we make him our focus and watch him work. Now Lord, we look forward to our our time uh, in the service together. We ask your blessing on and guidance in that time. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.